welcome to Conversations About Life. You're like one of those those attack journalists. You know how they they'll be all nice at first, and then they'll like like, like pounce or whatever. No, I just <laughs> just go. <laughs> just, all right. Okay. Well. Go ahead. Um, yeah, thanks, Richard, for getting together with me. And uh, I'll try to introduce you, and then we'll just dive right into a conversation. Okay. Um, so we kn- we've known each other for a while back. We were a part of the same church, and you moved. Um, was it, I guess it was a was it a job that moved you to Illinois? Yeah, I I work with a major insurance company here. Um, I guess, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't m- mention the name of it, but yeah, it, back in 2005. Okay. And, uh, okay. And, um, well, anyway, how, how would you describe yourself? Like who is, um, Richard Sire? Uh, well, um, a, lo- a large part of who I am is due to my parents um both my parents uh like my dad died about three years back my mom's still alive and they were always very serious christians uh as they were raising up us kids i've got uh three siblings yeah and uh so that was kind of like a big part of my whole uh, upbringing and then as my life has gone forward that's never left me uh, so as I've been in different situations uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's fair to say I've drifted on a, uh, a few occasions but I always come back to uh my faith in Jesus Christ and have always had um, from early on an interest in like learning more uh, about who God is, who Christ is, what he's done, what he's doing now. Uh, so that that's a big, huge thing. And then the other thing is uh, I mean, obviously my family. And then the other big thing is <clears throat> my music. Uh, hmm. I, I, from an early age, my mom was playing piano a lot. Well, she really only got a piano when, when I was in sixth grade. Mm-hmm. And right off, like all us kids would play the piano. Mm-hmm. Or she was teaching us piano. And she got, she even kind of got a different piano method book for each kid. Hmm. And But I just kind of like quickly sort of everyone could tell I was the one that was like the most excited about it and loved it. Hmm. And so that's when I, I went into computer program or excuse me. I didn't go into computer programming at first. I went into uh, music. And so, uh, Illinois Wesleyan, I studied piano performance and then later at U of I, I got a master's degree. And uh, finally, after like 
about six years ago, I finally got the piano I always wanted, which is I, I've got a, a Steinway oh, from wow. 19, built in 1971 or two. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's second from the smallest size. It's an, a Model M, which mm-hmm. I can't remember. I still think it's under, it's under six feet. Mm-hmm. But you wouldn't know it by the sound. It's a wonderful sound on that thing. It's a, it's a little bit on the bright side right now. I think i got to get toned down a little bit. Mm-hmm. I don't know who owned it. I bought it from the Hinsdale Steinway store. But as soon as I sat down on that thing, I'm like, man, I really like this. Like the feet, the, the, the sound is so resonant. It just mm-hmm. rings because Steinways have these string. One of the things they talk about is they have low tension strings. And so what that affects is the actual sustain, you know, the, the, the amount of time it takes for that sound to dwindle down. You know what I mean? Whereas mm-hmm. if it's, it's higher tension, the string tends to not vibrate as long. And uh, so even though it's like one of the shorter uh, grand pianos for the room mm-hmm. we're in and, mm-hmm. and for the size of the piano it is, it's really too much. Now I usually have a lid down. Hmm. Uh, so that's been wonderful in the sense of like, since I got it, I, I, I tried to do a couple competitions, didn't do very well, but it still has helped my playing a great deal. Like, because once you have a good piano, you really can focus in on what you really need to do to, you know, line yourself upright and everything. Hmm. So that's been fun. That's, that's a big passion of mine. I love cl- classical music. I took some, uh, I'm sorry if I'm, Rain me in if I just... Okay, you're fine. Okay. Uh, a few years back, I took a few lessons with a local jazz piano guy, and he, he taught me some chord progressions and gave me some ideas. So I, I kind of diddle around with a little bit of improv now, which is really wonderful on the Steinway, too. It is wonderful how, like, the harmonies and everything. You can even play wrong notes, and they still sound, you know, basically <laughs> good. <laughs> That's the funny <laughs> thing about it. It's just like you... It kind of helps you to like just have the fun of experimentation and uh, things like that. It, it just, uh, yeah, having a good, I would recommend anybody's listening to this. If you have a, a kid that, you know, you can tell they really like to play. You don't have to prompt them to play. You, you don't have to, you know, that type of thing. If, if you see that they really have, a real love and talent for the piano, get them a Steinway grant. <laughs> I know that that's horrible because mm-hmm. I give you an example and I don't want to dwell too much on this. Like my piano was built in 71. I think at that time, I think a new piano, that new piano was around $3,700. Mm-hmm. I bought that piano six years ago for like $28,000 or 27, wow. five. Yeah. Okay. So though they're the only pianos, my understanding, there might be a couple others that actually accrue in value. Hmm. Okay. So mm-hmm. if they're kept, you know, if they're kept up reasonably and so on. Yeah. And uh, so it is just really neat. Uh, yeah. So I didn't realize that your education was in music. So you have like a like master's education in music? Yeah. I got master of piano performance and literature from U of I. Okay. And then did you, um, use your education in your profession at any point in your life? Well, 
initially, yeah, I looked around for a teaching position, like in university, mm-hmm. and uh, but then initially, the job I got was sort of like a part-time job at that Yamaha Music School in the in the St. Louis area. Okay. But that never really developed much more than just like a part-time. And I did that for a couple of years and then decided I just, I have to make a change. So that's when I, I got into programming. I went to Maryville University, had like a seven-month program at that time. They had just mm-hmm. started up. I think I was maybe in the second or third little class they had of that. And that, that program lasted maybe three or four years for them. I can't remember. Because there was a real demand for like mainframe programmers at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, I, it worked out, it, it turned out to be a really good thing. But the funny thing was, was it's funny how things work sometimes, like a little bit earlier, like maybe even like a year before, or, or maybe before I did the seven month program, I had mm-hmm. sent like, like just un, uh, just sent out a bunch of resumes of my piano background to like all the small Christian colleges throughout the whole nation. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I, so I did that, never really got any responses of positivity back from that. So then I took the course. I, I, I took it from like April, 1992 through the end, like November 92, something like that. That can't remember. And then there took me a few months to find a job. And I got a job offer, like in May. I remember what it was, mid-May of 93. Then, like, not kidding you, like three or four days later, that same week, out of the blue, I get this phone call from this guy. Well, it was either a phone call or a mail. I think it was a phone call from this guy. And he says, hey, we, we, we have an opening in our piano department, some small college in Pennsylvania. Like, but the, the whole deal was they wanted, they were willing to fly me in, do like one of these one-day all-interviews with like meet with different people and this, that, and the other mm-hmm. because they had this opening because somebody just couldn't teach them for that next year. But it was only going to be a one-year appointment. Mm-hmm. And then they were going to do like a nationwide search for which at that point, all bets are off because there's so much competition for those jobs, you wouldn't believe it. Like my my... My professor said, yeah, there was a job in some little college in the middle of Texas, and they had like Van Cliburn piano winners just trying to get those positions. Any of those nationally, you know, opening for like a full-time music piano professor at a university, particularly at that time, just like gold, even though they might only pay like 26000 a year. So they could be like really low for all the education somebody would have and all the expertise that they'd have, right? but still they're sought after. <laughs> that was back then, and I'm, it's, I'm sure it's the same way right now. And so anyway, long story, it was just funny how that happened, right? Because I had this really job offer. I already had accepted my offer of the, the programming job, and it was it was at, at that time at a company that doesn't work, in, uh, it doesn't uh, exist anymore. Uh, uh, Edison Brothers Stores, like Baker's Shoes, Wild Pair. Oh, okay. That was down... And a lot of people were employed by that. And it went, it, it, it didn't last. I think it folded around the year 2000 or so. I can't remember. But really great company, though, at first to start out as a programmer. Anyway, long story short, I thought it was funny. 
you know, I, I, I entertained it for a short time, but then I just went with the Edison brothers job. Mm-hmm. And then that's from that point forward, all, it was just all about mainframe programming since then. Yeah. So, and did you enjoy your work at, at programming? Yeah, I did. It, it, you know, it was funny, like, at very, fr- <laughs> it was this funny thing. It seemed like for a little bit, it took me a while. I, I was good at programming. I, I loved the idea of programming because it was just kind of fun, right? You know, you're just, it's like a puzzle and you got to make things. It's, it, it, it taps into something that, that's the way my brain works, like yeah. figuring things out. Uh, though I'm not like a mechanical person, right? More like a, like a, a thoughts, logic person, if you will. Right. Yeah. And, uh, cause I'm not, that's one of my, like give you an example, like I just had a challenge. I'm still in the middle of doing, uh, putting a fan in my room here. Yeah. And, and like, I just had this fear about that because, but I had a friend come over and he showed me the wiring and I finally understand the wiring a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I've always been like fear of wiring. Right. You know, he got black and whites and, uh. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so, uh, what was I saying? What was I saying? Uh, Oh, you're not mechanical, but you're yeah, logical. Mechanical. And you, anyway, you yeah, like I did like programming. Now, the very first, I remember there was one of my first managers said, well, we were kind of worried about you for a while because, and it was just about the terminology, mm-hmm. just getting used to files, data, elements, yeah. uh, just, just kind of knowing all that stuff and then just being like comfortable with it. And before mm-hmm. long, I was just doing fine. It just, you know, I, I think sometimes in the way I like process things it'll be, it'll be like a hard like you won't kind of get things and then all of a sudden oh i get it and then it, mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's like you have to get through a little yeah. struggle to get you know yeah to get comfortable right and then oh it clicks type of thing yeah so and then <laughs> with the insurance a business you're with now is that programming too or is that a different type of uh, position you're it's pretty much the same thing it's okay. it's pretty much I, I like and this is the thing i was thinking about i kind of like you know i was i was listening to a guy a while back and there's something about like type a's b's c's and d's and then there's some mm-hmm. other alphabets in there but you know a's are, are like the person that you know he kind of wants he's the a guy he wants to be the top guy he wants to be in charge like, you know, leadership, right. maybe somebody a little bit like you, although you're not a head of a corporation, but you, you are obviously under the authority of God and all, but like you, you seem like kind of like a confident in being like a leader of, or maybe a mentor or something, I, you know, but me, I'm more like, I just want to do the work, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so I just like programming. Right. So like some people want to do, go into the management of things, or maybe they want to be an architect and come up with the different ways to transform the system. I just like to work with the existing system more or less and figure out what a problem is maybe, or add a new change, Mm -hmm. just actually do the work, test it and issue it. Right. It's it's more like a worker bee. Like, right. that's what I think they call D's. Okay. D's are kind of like workers. I see. So, um, you were mentioning growing up 
and your parents were serious Christians, yeah. and like your dad, uh, James Sire, like he's kind of known in the Christian community. Well, he's an author and um, kind of known as an intellectual in the Christian community. Um, so, um, what was um, your um, your childhood like? When you say serious Christian, um, what was your guys' routine or, or life like when you were growing up? Well, we went to church every week. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad was beginning to uh when i was born i think he was still studying and getting his he's got a a doc he has a master's and a uh phd in english and literature type things okay so he didn't go to seminary or anything Mm -hmm. but early on he was involved in university christian fellowship at the universities and things like that and then Early on, probably when I was about two or three, he got his first teaching job at Nebraska Wesleyan and taught English mm. there. But yeah, he uh, then eventually, though, a couple of years after that, then he uh, was hired in as, as like the head editor of University Press that was in Downers Grove, Illinois at the time. And that was just like his whole world. He just loved it. You know, he loved reading. Uh, and then, you know, uh, serving the Lord in that way, I, I, w- I would say, and and uh, being involved, very involved in church, teaching Sunday school. He would. Uh, he also taught the uh, confirmation class for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but very involved in university. He he became a lecturer, an author. He'd go to different universities and and engage people in forums where people could talk about different issues, like why believe anything in at all. He'd mm-hmm. a- ask these sort of, I guess, philosophical questions and get people to dialogue on mm-hmm. worldviews. His big thing was worldview, you know, mm-hmm. and he, and even today, I mean, even a couple months back, my mom was like, Oh, they just published the last, probably will be the last edition of my dad's book. Jim Hoover, who was another editor, helped write another chapter. And they've already had like six or seven different editions of the Universe mm-hmm. Next Door book. Mm-hmm. And so even now, even like three years after my dad's death, almost three years, his books are still making money. which <laughs> is kind of funny. Yeah. But yeah, it, uh, it's, it's kind of neat. So just under that milieu, if you will, of my parents, and my mom was a typesetter for... University Press. She helped edit. And she actually helped catch a lot of errors, even though they were supposed to have been uh, proofread before they came to the point of being typeset. She caught a lot. <laughs> uh, anyway, so uh, so that that was just sort of the general thing. It, it was just like this. We believe, you know, conservative. We attended a conservative Presbyterian church, not a particularly Calvinistic one, but okay. a conservative one. Mm-hmm. So and 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 that just folded about a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. It was because all the generation died out. Like mm-hmm. it, it just it just dwindled. Mm-hmm. It was a great church for a long time, but it just mm-hmm. it just it had its day. Like a lot of churches are doing within the last few years. You have you know these denominational churches, maybe more than any, 
that just they've I don't know people just grew up and then they just maybe a lot of people are, are attending the bigger churches now right the bigger churches mm-hmm. they have a lot of programs and things like that and the smaller churches sort of kind of dwindled and the population got older and so on so so was um, was it a PCA Presbyterian Church no it was Presbyterian uh, USA okay. But it was always a conservative one. Okay. And then, you know, they, even though there was so much liberality, it was always conservative in the sense the Bible's true, you know, the morality issues, they were consistently holding to uh, more orthodox right. positions. So, yeah, I just heard your dad referenced a couple of days ago. I was listening to a podcast. Um, and um, there's these two guys debating on the epistemology of religious faith, like um, what can you know and what can you not know and stuff like that. And the guy who, uh, one guy, uh, he was just referencing, recommending different books. And one of them was by James Sire. It wasn't The Universe Next Door. It was a different one. And I don't remember. But uh, that was kind of interesting to hear his name, you know. Hey, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Um. So, um, so at home, did you all like uh, open up the Bible together and and talk about things, or did you have like a family devotional type of thing going on? Or? You know, <laughs> there were probably a, a few occasions we did, mm-hmm. but to be honest with you, I think. I think the majority of the biblical grounding and worldview that we absorbed was through the church, the lifestyles of my mom and dad. Mm-hmm. And I, I think one of the factors that probably militated against having a regular thing like that was... But dad was really busy. Yeah. Like there was a one point where he was, you know, uh, teaching at Northern Illinois University, like maybe half time mm-hmm. and maybe, you know, three quarters at, 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 at the university press. Uh, it, it was a time where he was like really busy and mm-hmm. he was writing. <laughs> so that you could fault my dad on that is, I mean, I, one could is maybe he didn't take a lot enough time mm-hmm. to but and yet three of three of the four kids are regular church goers now mm-hmm. yeah uh so i don't know right. but that's a good question we, there were times that we did but yeah. i when it, the bottom line was not very long yeah, very regular. Yeah. Um. So I remember some of the um the things you were thinking about when you were back at Rockport and when you were leaving, like you were thinking about. I think it's referred to as preterism, and oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And then I remember, like, um, when it comes to Calvinistic uh, doctrine teaching. Um, 
like the definite atonement was something that you that was important to you that you would bring up. Right. So um, I just kind of want to maybe just catch up a little bit about just how did that play out? Because it seemed like it was like you were in the process of working through things. So you were leaning pretty hard toward preterism. Um, you know, I don't know, like, uh, did you, is that where you are now? Or did you come, did you go through that into something else? Or, you know, what are your, what happened with all of that? Um, I haven't been thinking about the preterism much the last really few years. Uh, and maybe three just or four, in, maybe. And just in case you know someone's listening who's not familiar with preterism is, it's kind of the thought, the idea that many of the um, end time th- mm-hmm. type of things, statements that the Bible makes of like happening at the end of the age or so forth that it happened during that first generation that first century right right exactly and i think the strongest argument uh that that's put forth by those who hold a view is the time statements and the kind of the imminency statements that christ made yeah uh you know, about, you know, there's some standing here that won't taste death before they see the Son of Man come. Right. The right. Then, then like the Matthew 24 thing where, you know, this generation will not pass till... Uh, I'm a little fuzzy on the verses even. But, you know, this right. generation will not pass away till these, these things happen. See, um, see Jesus come with the glory of his angels or something like that. Yeah, things like that. So there's plenty of verses like that would lend someone to say... Okay, this is within the lifetime of the generation to whom he's speaking, or the disciple, right. the lifetime of the disciples of whom he's speaking right. to. And mm-hmm. surely, like the 8070 destruction of Jerusalem is this big judgment mm-hmm. that happens uh, mm-hmm. in the view of many uh, mm-hmm. that right. see these things. Uh, so it is, it is an intriguing view. The thing that it is a very controversial view when it, it, it comes into the, the idea of like some kind of resurrection and judgment happening in AD 70. Mm-hmm. The, and then in that, the people have different views that hold like to a full preterism view, like, a, like pretty much all these things. Uh, they, they view the resurrection in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because after all, like in, in Ephesians, we're said to already be sitting in the heavenly realms with Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? Type of thing. Well, we're said to be blessed in the heavenly realms, right? Yeah, I think it's also like seated with him, I think. It's, it's okay. kind of like there's an idea that we're, okay, in some sense, we're already kind of, uh, kind of in a different place, if you will. Okay. And then... Uh, so there's different arguments they're put forward, but I never could get totally to buy in totally to the full preterist view. I think there's a lot of interesting things like the new creation. You know, you can go to and Isaiah and it talks about a new creation, like in Isaiah yeah. 65, 66. But then it says, well, an infant may only if an infant only dies at the age of hundred, then then the, that'll be bad. It it, it it talks about the new creation, but death is still in it. Basically. Right. And yeah. so 
if you look at that as like a parallel text to Revelation, then okay, are we going to have two different new creations? We're going to have the one that, because that's what some people think, that the Isaiah one is like, okay, that's the millennium. That's the new creation of the millennium. People are still going to be dying, but things will be a lot better than they were. And then later, in Revelation, you have mm-hmm. everything is good. Although even if you look at Revelation, it still says, hey, these leaves are for the healing of the nations, and they, they sprout right. leaves every month. Well, why do they need mm-hmm. to do that if everything's okay? Right? You know what I mean? So there's these little questions as to like, right. so like preterists think that, a lot of preterists, it is an intriguing idea. Preterists think that the, the government is always going to increase. You know, like they have the Isaiah passage, it talks about the increase of his government will never end. What does mm-hmm. that mean? Well, maybe that means that people still are getting born and it's still growing, 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 growing. So they have an idea that what the end is, is the end of the old covenant age. The okay. new covenant age never ends. Okay. See, so it's like covenantal. It's very interesting, mm-hmm. right? We, okay. we tend to think in very sort of like, not the compartments of covenant as much as more earthly destruction, right? Yeah. As opposed to like covenants. Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting, actually. Yeah. But I haven't really thought about it too much lately because I just, I figure like, I mean, it's, I hate to say it, but it's kind of like, well, I'm not a- a- actually 100% sure how the eschatology is, and but I know it's going to pan out. I know that's kind right. of a cheesy thing people say, but right. I don't know every, I, I just don't think I have the ability as of now to yeah. figure it out. Right. <laughs> Now, you said that your dad, like the church that you guys were a part of, is not, wasn't like really strong in Calvinism. Right. Um, so was your dad as an individual, or was he really not so much into Calvinism as well? I talked to him about that a few times. I think at one point he was very, he, he really leaned into the Calvinism a little bit uh, earlier mm-hmm. on in his life. But then I think he he must have been kind of adopted more of the inner varsity view of things, which was, well, I see good views in both Arminianism and Calvinism. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, he we had some interesting you know arguments, I guess you could call them. On it. Yeah. So um, so do you? I know at Rockport you were uh, you know uh, like you were a Calvinist. So yeah. is that still pretty much your your position? Or okay, anything? that's very interesting. So, yeah, from about around 1998 or 9, and then when I started at Rockport, it was probably around year 2000 or whatnot. And then all the way through till probably like 2014 or 15. I, I, right around then I started to, I think it was, bec- I never totally I feel like I never really in my heart denied Calvinism after I embraced it. But I did I did take a very, very serious look at open theism. Okay. And the reason why was because, you know, I started listening to Greg Boyd a little bit. Yeah. And... Well, I, this is my view on that. You could get convinced 
of more of a Greg Boyd position if you kind of put the scripture on the back burner. Okay. And the way it is, is the way he, like if he would give a sermon, he spends like 10 to 15, he's maybe spent 10 minutes sort of setting the stage of some really unfortunate evil scenario that, that works itself out in the world, like loved one dies or someone's mm-hmm. tortured or like the, the story he uses in his, uh, one of his books, he talks about Zosh, this per, I think her name is like Zosha, some little girl that had beautiful eyes that apparently German soldiers loved her eyes and they, they plopped them out to make a marble hmm. out of them or something like that. Yeah. And uh, the, 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 a hopeless cruelty. Mm-hmm. And how can you explain that in mm-hmm. light of God's overarching sovereignty over all things? Mm-hmm. And so he, he, he sets a good argument Mm-hmm. And then to the point where you're like, yeah, how could God do that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? But then, early, so I, I, I even went to like a, uh, I, I met, it was so funny. I, I met the guy because mm-hmm. he's a real open the, theist guy, right? I, mm-hmm. I, I, I met the guy because I went to a conference. It was about the peace, how God like advocates peace. Mm-hmm. And this was like th- about two, two and a half years ago. Real nice guy. He ended up sitting next to me in one of the seminars because they were different mm-hmm. teachers. And so I got mm-hmm. to talk to him. It was kind of cool, you know. Really nice guy. Mm-hmm. And, and and some of the stuff was sort of interesting in the conference and everything. Mm-hmm. But then earlier this year, I just started listening to Gordon Clark, who he passed on many years back. But he's like this really strong uh, Calvinist out mm-hmm. of the Orthodox Presbyterian uh, denomination at one point anyways and you listen to that guy that guy was br- i'm not saying he's absolutely 100 percent perfect or anything like that but when he started talking about the scriptures and everything i'm like mm-hmm. i can't deny it I, I you know i knew yeah i knew in my heart somewhere that i was looking for something to kind of satisfy some of the the disenchantment i had with calvinism mm-hmm but then when I really started thinking about the scriptures, I was like, no, I, I can't. It, it's, mm-hmm. it, it's just not right. <laughs> right. But, you know, it's easy to get sucked away if you, if you start looking at other stuff from scripture. That that's the main thing. Hmm. And then, like, yeah. right now, like, it's very interesting at work. There's this thing called Yammer. It's like a social media thing that different companies use. It's mm-hmm. like a stream, a chat room. Yeah. And there's this one that's kind of a Christian-oriented one. So I just asked these different poll questions. Mm-hmm. And, like, right now i got, like, 45 responses or so to, like, a three-question poll. I, I, what I like to do, part of what I really like to do is talk to people on theological issues. Mm-hmm. And the question I had was, how do you, what, what, how do you see God, is, what is God, uh, what is, how, what does he do? I, I can't remember how to phrase it. Does he, one, does he uh, uh, offer his salvation to everyone, not willing that anyone should perish? That's mm-hmm. option one. Option two is God is has mercy on whom he has mercy, and he hardens whom he hardens. Mm-hmm. Three, God has mercy on some, and justly punishes others. Mm-hmm. I've got 45 responses or so. I think about four of them 
answered the second, which one, mm-hmm. one of the people that answered me, and that was God has mercy on some and on some he hardens. Mm-hmm. All the others was option one. Now, option one does have some scripture in it. Yeah. But how to interpret some of that? Yeah. Right. And so that's the thing. And, and let me, I don't want to, I just want to briefly, I thought about it. And it's very, very, very interesting. When I was in junior high, I remember, you know, kind of laying in my bed at night, thinking about the gospel message and thinking, okay, God died for everyone, you know, everyone's sins. Mm -hmm. And if we believe in him, we'll have eternal life. But I remember there being a little question in my mind about the logic of that. Mm -hmm. Because I thought to myself, well, if he died for everyone's sins, what good is it if I believe or not? He's died for me. Mm-hmm. So there, it was sort of like, I didn't quite understand it, right? There was a little tension there. Then, probably like mid to late teens, I read Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Mm-hmm. Now, he does not go into full orb Calvinism in that book, but mm-hmm. what he talks about is propitiation. He makes a big deal about, a lot about Romans 8. I think it's about the heart of the gospel chapter in there. And he talks about the meaning of propitiation, propitiation, which, as I recall, the way he defined it, was the sort of the putting away or doing away with sin and the appeasing of God's wrath mm-hmm. thereby. Yeah. And what he kind of drives home a little bit is that that's like God's work, right? And that there's an actual appeasing of God's wrath for those for whom he died. It's something like that. I need to go back to, but see that really like that shed a light in my understanding. It's like, no, that's not something I've heard before. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, that's like God actually being the deter. It was like the germ of the idea that again, Packer in that book didn't flesh out, but Mm -hmm. that it's God's work, the atonement and and the actual dying for Mm -hmm. is, is much more, it's, it's, it's a totally different character than the, like one of the things I stumbled across lately is there's a, there's an organization called spread truth. They have something called the story and the way that they give the gospel is that God has a story that he's writing now and you can become part of that story if you accept the offer of his rescue mm-hmm. but many calvinists and i would agree with this miller disagree with this idea of an offer because an offer makes it sound like one that you're not commanded to believe the gospel and two that there's some kind of contingent or condition that one must fulfill to add effectiveness to the dying for that God did, right? Mm-hmm. If you follow me, right? So it seems like, like maybe to some, it might seem like a real subtle, like, hey, what are you talking about? But to me, it was just like, 
a light kind of turn on. So then later when I read about like like R.C. Sproul when he was like in his Grace Unknown book and he's got something called Chosen by God. There's another book by him mm-hmm. that really shed the light on it. And mm-hmm. so then that's one of the things that brought me to Rockport was the church I was in before hmm. was was like Arminian. Maybe there were a few Calvinists. And actually the church I go to now is like a 4.5-er right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, it's like a Dallas seminary. They kind of do like a, a little, they, I, some of the sermons I totally agree with. Like I heard mm-hmm. one the other day, it was just perfect. There was no offer. It was, they talked about the irresistible call. He was going through Acts chapter two, you know, like this promise is for all you and your children and for all who are far off, for all those whom are called, mm-hmm. right? So the irresistible call, and uh, so that's what really thrills my heart is like one of my favorite passages is like first Peter two, you know, it talks about chosen people, uh, purchase possession that you might declare the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, when I read that verse, I just like how spectacular that is. And also in that passage, it, you know, it talks about chosen of God, but it also talks about those who are destined to stumble, which is another thing that I feel like what happens in churches, and it's just people want to edit and refine or, or delude doctrine to make it mm-hmm. more palatable to the hearer. Mm-hmm. I, really, I, I see that happen all the time. So that, that's kind of one of my little bugaboos is when I feel like someone's like like being delicate and, and editing out the difficult stuff. Because after all, if we believe the gospel is the power of God for salvation, why would we edit anything out of it, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, I know I'm blathering on, but I just, that's, that's what goes on in my head mm-hmm. when I kind of wrestle with these things. I, I kind of, but the thing that brings me great joy, like I, I, right now I have this argument with this guy, so-called at work, where he thinks that people that that are like saying that they're chosen before the creation of the world, he, mm-hmm. he's equating that with the, the old covenant Jews that were sort of prideful in their chosenness, right? Mm-hmm. But then I'm telling him, this, I was like, well, wait a minute. Well, I gave him the first Peter passage, which I just talked about, like, that's an occasion for our praise of him, right? But he's saying it's a pride thing. And I was like, no, it's just directly the opposite. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like you're, these people are worried about the chosen thing. They think it's a pride thing where it's like exactly the opposite. If you understand my meaning, right? Right. But anyway, I'm sorry. I, I'm probably talking too much. You probably want to ask another question. Um, that's okay. Um, so I probably, we probably should have done this earlier, I doubt if anyone's stuck with us who's not already familiar with like Calvinism and and open theism. But um, j- and just in case there is anyone, but what what you mean by Calvinism is um, like God totally sovereign and hundred percent in the affairs of man, but especially when it comes to salvation, fully um, paying for the debt, their sin debt. And then uh, their response is because of his call. 
and um, and and then um, the open theism that you were mentioning. That's kind of more of um, God um, creating things in such a way he he knows everything, but he doesn't. But it's like kind of allowing things to, to take place, and he doesn't. It's like almost like an experiment, I suppose. He he doesn't know exactly um, our choices before right. we make him something like that. Yeah, yeah. One of the good illustrations somebody gave uh, from that side, of the, I think, it was a guy named John Sanders, it talks about how, or maybe it's also Greg Boyd, that God is an expert chess player mm-hmm. as opposed to a puppet master. I see. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, you know, it, it's a, it's a, it's a clever argument. I mean, it makes, uh, it, it does make sense. You know, if you, you know, discount a lot of the real, what are they didactic, the real teaching part of the scriptures that make it pretty clear, you know, God, mm-hmm. you know, even like you touched on the sovereignty thing, even, even though, and I know this is controversial, but you, I can quote some verses is, is you know, there, God works. And this, this is a thing that, that if you're still a Calvinist, you might not agree with this, but you just don't take my word for it. Just look for it. Is mm-hmm. that even like the evil deeds or thoughts, mm-hmm. you can see in verses where God makes a heart obstinate or mm-hmm. he, he makes the, the Egyptians deal craftily with his servants or uh you know even in like john 12 it talks about it quotes isaiah where you know he he makes those who see blind and those who blind see and then even in the parables right jesus says you know i speak to the others in parables so that they don't understand but Mm -hmm. I'm giving you the secrets so that you do understand. Or in Matthew 11, where Jesus openly praises the Father for both divine reprobation and his choosing of the, uh, you know, the revealing to babes, right? So he's, so you, what you see is God actively causing or preventing people from believing in him which is counterintuitive except if you look at Romans 9 that's seen there too because the objector says you know God why did you make me like this and the answer is not that I didn't make you like this but it's because the potter has the right over the clay to do with what what he will with them he has mercy on some and he hardens others and that is very offensive to the natural man. And, but yet, it seems true in my... And again, search the scriptures for yourself. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so like right now, I'm holding to like unconditional double predestination by way of equal ultimacy, which basically means, you know, the first part is relatively... That, that both destinies are unconditional in nature before either any people are born, right? Just like Jacob and Esau. But mm-hmm. then 
God works, he molds, he works, he fits and fashions Mm -hmm. the destinies of both. And you can see that. Now, people fight against it, but I I see it anyways. I just say, people look at the scriptures and you just have to. I mean, uh, maybe I'm overbold here. Just, Just look at the scriptures is all I have to say. And that is, what I've just stated is a very minority position within Calvinists. Mm-hmm. So, but right. anyways. Right. And Calvinism, like um, definite atonement, is a very minority um, position within Christendom. <laughs> so That is so true. It does narrow, yeah, That's so true. It does well, and, 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 and on, the, on this Yammer side at work, about 10% answered in a more Calvinistic fashion. Okay. 90, no. so um okay so kind of going more toward like just um not the specifics but just the whole idea of theism or um or the whole idea of um the jesus and the resurrection being you know a historic real historical events Mm -hmm. um what gives you confidence there um does it start with the history and then go with the theism, or do you have like more philosophical reasons for theism and then you go the other way, or, or I guess what gives you confidence that um, the Christian faith is the truth um, rather than you know the popular in some circles of new the new atheism and stuff like that. Oh, um. I mean, I haven't thought, those are the kind of things that my dad would more overtly have uh, mm-hmm. been kind of delving into. I, yeah. I feel, I uh, feel is probably a bad word, right? Although, <laughs> of course, my dad, he was arguing later in his life with something called uh, signs of transcendence. Like he, 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 he gives a biographical account of like, looking at these three storm clouds coming in the distance in, in the beautiful Nebraska sky, you know, kind of ominous things. And he, he just, it, for some reason, it reminded him of the Trinity or something and, and just the majesty of it. He just, hmm. that kind of like what's embrazened him of like, this is like a God, God exists and this type of thing. Um, I feel like my confidence is, is I mean, I, I'm aware of, of, hey, why would the, the Christians have believed a lie and died for it. Like in, mm-hmm. within the lifetime of, you know, when Jesus was on the earth, you know, after he died, you know, just that first generation, why on earth would they have made it up? It wasn't like they were making a lot of money doing it. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? It, was, it would be like insane, right? Where so how did say, they, like there's modern day martyrs, but uh, I guess the difference would be, these would be, people in that first century yeah. who you would think they would know and then if they were to die for it that's kind of a different thing than um, buying into a religion at this point and then saying yeah I'll die for that right and then the other thing too just occurs to me is if you just start looking at scripture you know, how like incredible and I'm sure you agree with me on this it's just mind blowing right like who what, what human could come up with this you know mm-hmm. salvation by grace alone you know like like who, who would really think about that, or, or hmm. you know what I mean? Like it's just, you know, it's kind of cool, isn't it? Cool that, that scriptures about like 
you know, angels long to look into those things they didn't, under, you know what I mean? You know what I'm alluding mm-hmm. to, right? Like yeah. even they're just like marveling at mm-hmm. this unfolding mystery or whatever, you know I mean? But yeah. So I think it's just like, as you live in it, you just, things are sort of, I don't know. I don't want to say confirmed, but I guess you just, it just permeates you like, like how could it yeah. not be? You know what I mean? This is, and then also another thing I thought of in regard to the, the whole Calvinism thing, th- this might mm-hmm. be a little bit pertinent here is that if you look at history, I mean, I think you'll be willing to agree with me. Most people will is the majority of the people. I, I, this is a real hard pill, pill to swallow. Right. But actually the more, the majority of people that have lived on, on earth are not among the saved as up to this point. Anyways, I mean, let's say this of, of a from a human perspective, as we observe the world, not that many are really Christians, right? Mm-hmm. And the reason why I bring that up is in within the Calvinism thing is that, uh, well, is, is Jesus failing? I mean, if his, his mission is like this Arminian message of where he's trying to save everyone with his message and his offer of a rescue, mm-hmm. how much success has he really had? I mean, I, I don't, it, it sounds like I'm being kind of disrespectful, but, but the Calvinist says he, he is successful. He's, he's attaining his, his objective. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, maybe I, I shouldn't have mentioned that, but that just came to mind. But I'm sorry. You have another question? That's okay. Um, well, um, so you went through a, kind of a, like a life and death type of thing with oh, the yeah. staph infection, right? So um, how did that all come about? And um, are you different in any way afterwards? Like, was that life experience life-changing in some way you know uh initially it was i feel like i not it's been a rocky road right i mean it was incredible experience to go through right to almost die to be in the the intensive care for about 10 days and then having to go back in the hospital after about three days. And then I went up mm-hmm. to the Mayo clinic mm-hmm. and it was just a strep infection thing. But it, when those go septic, you, uh, it, it can be very, 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 uh, de- uh, dangerous. And so, yeah, I almost died. And you know, everybody, the cool thing about it is like, I got all these letters from people. I didn't even know, like a Methodist church out in North Carolina, I think what happened is like certain people told other people and it just spread. <laughs> you got this stack of like, like letters. I still got them somewhere. And, uh, so that was really like incredible to think about that, you know, that, and then, then what was really cool is my Dave Philman was mm-hmm. listening to a local radio broadcast there down St. Louis and the guy mentioned, yeah, 
say a prayer for this this guy. He's really and Dave's like, oh, that's <laughs> you know. So even like on a radio, somebody was like saying, "There's this guy." That's, <laughs> it was just it was just really funny. But uh, yeah, that was an incredible thing. Uh, um, and I don't do sickness well. I I, I get down about it. Like right now, I've got different health issues, right? But like, uh, and then then a few years later, I had this horrible knee joint infection. If you ever have a joint infection, horrible, off the scale pain. I actually had more off the scale pain with that than the swelling of the neck thing with the strep thing. Uh, but but it wasn't as life threatening, I suppose. But yeah, I'm not a good I'm not a good patient. <laughs> I am not a patient patient, shall we say. Mm-hmm. But no, I mean, it did initially, I think, it did initially. And my wife and I were having marital problems anyway, right during that first thing. We had mm-hmm. an argument. And so even when I was coming out of it, our relationship wasn't very good. <laughs> so it was really, really tough, right? Because like the last thing you want to do is like, you want, you know, there to be, you know, it was just difficult, right? Mm-hmm. But my work was fine. The funny thing about that was, was the day that I went in and got, ended up getting really sick and going to the emergency room and all that, was the exact two-year anniversary of my work, which was very crucial. Because if I had not at least worked a couple hours, one or any that day, then I I only would have had... 20 sick days, but instead I got 40 sick days. Hmm. <laughs> so isn't that funny? It was like on the very day that I had to show up a little bit first, then I'd get an extra 20 sick days. <laughs> it's just weird stuff like that, right? Yeah. But uh, I remember I was in an emergency. I didn't even know where I was for 10 days wow. until I came out of it. Yeah. And then, I had all crazy hallucinations because they'd give me a bunch of medicine. And then when you, when you don't, you don't sleep very well when you're under sedation, mm-hmm. you basically, you start to, you start to see things anyways. So I was like hallucinating the craziest things in the world. <laughs> so it's just, it really made me empathize with people that are in that situation, right? Yeah. That they may not even know why they're there. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. But yeah, well, what, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, were you going to say something? Well, else? I was just going to say, but now when I look back at it, I don't think about that much anymore. And I'm pretty much the yeah. way I was. I, I'm just being really yeah. honest with you. I'm right. still the same person. You would have, you would hope that I, it, like it changed me forever. Yeah. <laughs> but in a way, I don't think it has. I think I'm like a, yeah. like I, I keep going back to the same, you know, kind of de- quasi-depressive thoughts, anxiety. You know, a little bit of, like, even particularly in the world today, I'm like really negative about things now, extremely. In the yeah. church, in our political system, in our, you know, I just, I have never been at this low ebb before in my life. Hmm. So anyway, yeah. but, I'm sorry, go ahead. So, um, I guess just kind of, uh, you know, like a kind of something, a last thing to kind of uh, wrap up with. Um, 
Like, what do you find just satisfying in life, just in general? Like, is there something in your regular week or day or now and then that it just really is satis- satisfying for you? Oh, I, I, one thing comes to mind. I know this sounds silly or whatever. I just love little toddlers. Like, like <laughs> I, I, I kid you not. I just yeah. absolutely love them. Like, yeah. like I was working out of my garage from like uh, early August to like even early October, I think. Yeah. And there's this cute little kid across the street, and it. it what I loved about it is it reminded me when my kids were that little. But yeah. it's just like just. Like with the world all so, like so horrible right now, just to see a little child and the wonder that they have of the world, and yeah. the, you know, just them playing with a toy or them enjoying seeing their dad because like the dad has a big white truck, so it says it they'll they'll put the boy in the little white truck and he'll he'll sit there and he'll have his hand on the steering wheel and you know what I mean just. The, the joy of being like a little kid brings back the memories of when you're, well, even your own childhood, but also the childhood of your kids. Yeah. And, and just like, wow, that's, that's really great that that's still going on, even though of some of the really horrible trends that are going on in the world today, that there's yeah. still just like the simple, wonderful scenes and pictures, I guess, or whatever, of life that are just like, that's... Man, that's what we need is just, yeah. oh, then there's these, these awesome twins. There's these twin kids. They're hilarious. And they've got these cute little uh, coats that look like, uh, I don't know, dinosaur coats with like little ridges <laughs> on the top. And they're the cutest little, uh, they're like half, I think they're like half Mexican. And their mm-hmm. parents are even like teaching them the Spanish from the get-go. But, you know, this one lady, like the caretaker will, you know, and so I'll say hi to them. And, hey, how you doing? Just like interacting with little kids is just like a lot of fun for me because I always enjoy it with my kids. I mean, because I had like four little kids, like yeah. within a five year spread, I had four of mine. So it brings back all the memories of how fun it was with that. And of course, you knew some of the kids and you and we still got that cute picture. You took of Abby that was in the Sunday school room, you know. And, you know, when Abby was that age, she was so cute and everything. I mean, she still is cute, but, but yeah. you are yeah. like me, though. You've got all the kids, too. You you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks, Rich. Sure, Richard. sure. It's really, really good to talk with you. Yeah, thank, thanks, man. I appreciate it. If you use a podcast app like iTunes, please give a review of Conversations About Life. Mm-hmm.